Hi, welcome to the Lakeside Church Weekend Messages podcast. My name is Jacob. I'm a creative arts protege here at Lakeside, and I'm super excited that you're listening with us. I want to take a quick second to let you know how Lakeside is responding to COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. We believe that we are called to be carriers of hope and courage during times like these, and we are also called to respect our governing bodies as Christ followers. Our government has asked us to postpone our gatherings as we respond globally to COVID-19, and so we've decided to pre-record some of our gatherings so we can still worship together at home. This feed will still only feature the message portion of the gatherings, but if you want to experience our gatherings in full while you're at home, we will be live streaming them at our normal service times on the weekends, and you'll be able to watch past weekends if you missed a gathering on our website. You can find links for these videos and updated information about everything we as a church are doing to respond to COVID-19 at lakesidechurch.com and on our Facebook page. We love you, and we are super excited to see you all again soon. Hey, everybody. Good to see you today. Um, we're, uh, we're meeting together online again as Lakeside Church, of course. I'm glad you're with us for this. Uh, we're in a series called Transformational Questions. And the whole idea of the series is there are some questions that if we would learn to ask them in our lives, it would shape the way we live, and it would influence us, and it would influence people around us. So today we're coming to transformational question number four, but I want to go back and do a little bit of review first and remember where we've been. So transformational question number one, or what I think of as TQ1, was uh, what's your story? What's your story? When you learn to answer that question, it will shape your life. You begin to ask, God, what's my path? What's my journey? What has it been? And where is it now? And where do you want it to go? And how do these conflicts that have come into my life, how do you want to use those to change me in my life? And it can be a transformational question to others because if you will simply ask the question to someone else, what's your story? And if they know you want to listen, they'll tell you. Human beings love to tell their story. And if you'll ask them, and they begin to tell you, and then maybe you ask some follow-up questions, maybe after a while they begin to talk about their relationship with God in their life, and maybe you get to influence them in that way. What's your story? Transformational question number one. Transformational question number two we saw the next week, and that's the question, who's your wingman? Who's the one who flies in formation with you? Who's the one who provides protective support for you in your life? And maybe more importantly, who do you provide protective support for? Like, who, who are you there for? Who are you, who are you leaning into and who leans into you and who trusts you and whom do you trust? Who's your wingman? Transformational question number two. Transformational question number three we saw last weekend, and that question is this, who's your neighbor? I mean, I, I, maybe you know the names of the person who lived to the left and the right of you, but who, who's your neighbor? Or when we say that, who's in your oikos, by which we mean who's in your network, or who has God put on the front row of your life? And he, and he put them there because he wants you to love them and serve them and care for them in the name of Jesus. Who's your neighbor? Now today, we're going to come to question number four, transformational question number four, and it's a question that relates to decision-making. Now, we make decisions in a lot of different ways. People have lists that they use and different patterns they use to make decisions. One of the classic ways of making a decision is, is just with a coin. You take the coin, you flip it up in the air, heads, I win, tails, you lose. That's a simple way of making decisions. 
Or there's this classic way. You take some strips of paper, we call them straws for some reason, but you take a, some strips of paper and then you draw one and short straw loses, which I've never understood, frankly. Why is it the short one who loses? Why is it the short guy who loses? I'm not really fond of that one. In golf, there's another, there's another way to make decisions. If you have a golf tee, you can flip that golf tee up in the air, and if you've got a foursome that's about to play golf, you don't know who's going to go first, you flip that tee in the air, and whoever it points to when it lands, that person goes first. That's a great decision-making process. If the greatest decision you have to make is who goes first. Of course, there's the classic uh, decision-making tool called Rochambeau, or rock, paper, scissors, right? So, uh, there's a way that that works. So scissors cut paper. So scissors beat paper. And paper covers rock, which no one knows why paper wins because it covers rock. And rock crushes scissors. It's a complicated thing to do, uh, but it's a decision-making tool, uh, mostly to play for a game to see who wins. So, and those are all great if the biggest decision you have to make today is takeout or delivery. Like, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? I don't know. Purchase a pizza. They'll bring it to us. Fantastic. But what if your decisions are bigger than that? And most of our decisions are bigger than that. And as we go through our lives and the decisions we really care about are bigger than that. What if your life path hinges on a certain decision? Like, you know that this decision is going to change the course of your life. I have two, two sets of friends, two families who have just recently moved from California to Idaho. And they came to a decision point, and it's going to change the entire course of their lives. How do you make that kind of decision? How do you make the big ones? And especially if you're a follower of Christ, you go, it really matters that I honor Jesus in my decision-making process. I don't want Jesus to be in my life on Sunday morning at church and never in my life the rest of my time. I want Jesus in my life, and I want him in my big decisions. I want, I want him to be shaping those moments when my life turns. And so there are big questions in our lives, like, like what college shall, shall I go to, or, or shall I go to college at all? Or whom shall I marry, or shall I marry at all? Or, or what job should I take, or it may be even greater, what career path should I take? And when should I retire, and how should I retire, and where should I live? And there's all these questions that we have to ask that are life-shaping questions. And you want to make them right. You want to make them uh, in a way that's significant for your faith in Christ. And that's where it gets stressful. Because many Christians believe that transformational question number four is this, what's God's will for my life? And then the stress level rises because we want to get it right. We, we don't want to miss it. And how would you know if you miss it. How would you know if you miss God's will? I don't want to miss it. How will I know? Maybe what we need is a sign. Wouldn't that make it much more clear? Yeah, sort of like that. I mean, wouldn't it be great if God would just put stop signs up and when he says, look, you're going too far, stop, or you're going the wrong direction, stop. Although we tend to look at stop signs as suggestions, not real signs. So I don't know if that would help from God either. Maybe we need a, a map app. Maybe we need a God map app to say, go this direction, turn here, turn there, and you'll be good. 
Well, actually, God's will is a lot more clear than we ever suspected. God's will is actually much more clear than we may think. How do you know God's will? What is God's will for us anyway? Well, the Bible is pretty clear on what these things are. Like, let's look at some scripture. In fact, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with this, we put a bunch of scripture in the YouVersion Bible app uh, so that you can turn there and just find all these scriptures pulled in together so you don't have to look them up while we're talking. I encourage you to look them up as soon as you get a chance when we get done, but they're all there for you in the YouVersion app, so you might check that out and follow along. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, This is God's will for you. Uh, this is an answer. Jesus is answering a question, which was, what's the greatest commandment? Which is just another way of saying, God, what do you want me to do? What's your will for me? Matthew 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Clear? With everything you have. Love God. That's what he wants you to do. Now, then they, Jesus added to that another one. He said, now here, there's a second command that goes with it. In other words, here's... Here's the big two. Here's the second one of the big two. Matthew 22, verse 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so here's what God, here's God's will. Love God and love your neighbor. Pretty simple so far. Now let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. He's talking to husbands, so this is really a husband uh, directive. But the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives. So here's your list. Love God, love your neighbor, love your wife. Now, in case anybody else is, is not included in that list, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said this in Matthew 5 verse 44. He said, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that's a tall order, but that's the will of God. You want to know God's will for your life? That's it. Love God, love your neighbor, love your wife, and love your enemy. That's God's will for your life. Now, there are a couple other things that Jesus commends us to, and things that the Scripture says, now, do this and do that, but it's not that long of a list. But those things pretty much encapsulate it. Love God, love your neighbor, love your wife, love your enemy. Practice these things. Yes, just stay on God's path. Stay on the trail. I mean, it's clear enough. It's already been marked for us. We know where the boundaries are. Just stay on the trail. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your wife. Love your enemy. Stay on the path. And what if your path is not that clear? I mean, what if I have a decision to make and it's more specific to me? It's like, the Bible doesn't tell me what college I should go to. Should I go to Sac State or Stanford? The Bible doesn't say you can't go to first hesitations in the scripture somewhere and go, what college should I go to? It's not in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't tell me who I should marry. Now, it does say you should, if you're a follower of Christ, you should marry within the family of Christ, but it doesn't give you a name. It doesn't give you an address. In fact, speaking of addresses, the Bible doesn't say where you should live. It doesn't say if you should live in this town or that town. It doesn't say if you should live on this street or that street. I mean, what if, what if the Bible doesn't tell me, like, uh, where should I retire or how should that retirement work exactly? The Bible doesn't tell me those things. And what if I have multiple options? It's like arriving at a fork in the road... And there are no signs. 
Now where do I go? Now what do I do? I have gotten lost on these trails before. I was running one day a while ago and I came to a fork in the road where I couldn't see a sign and I turned left and I went up this path and it ended up in a cul-de-sac and I was just stuck at the end of this cul-de-sac. I had to turn around. I don't wanna do that with my life. Now, of course, turning around from a biblical perspective is called repentance, so it's not a bad thing. But what if there are no signs? If there is no sign, at least don't feel the pressure to ask, God, what's your will for my life? Now, you, you may say, well, if I'm not asking God what his will is for my life, then, then I'm cutting God out. No, you already know God's will for your life. The path is clear. Love God, love your neighbor, love your wife, love your enemy. The path of God's will is clear. You're not trying to cut God out. You're trying to seek who God really is. See, God, God's not into making you guess. I mean, right, if, if God's will for you, if it's up to you to find out what his will is, but God has never shown you or revealed to you or written down anywhere, this is what my will is, then, then you have to guess. And that puts huge stress on people that are passionate about God. But God's not interested in adding to your stress. God's not eager to make you guess. He doesn't get some kind of cosmic joy when he goes, look at that, they don't know what they're doing and they're trying to find out. That's not how he treats us. No, instead, when you come to the place where there's a, uh, there's a fork in the road and you have to decide and there's no sign or there are no signs, then that's when you come to transformational question number four, which is, what is the wise thing for me to do? At this point in my life, at this juncture, with this decision I have to make, what is the wise thing for me to do? Here's why you should ask this question. Proverbs 3, verse 35, makes this statement. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. You want honor in your life? Learn to choose wisely. Learn to ask, what's the wise thing for me to do? Because the wise people inherit honor. Why? Because everybody knows they make good decisions. And you honor people who make good decisions. What is the wise thing for me to do? Why would you ask that question? Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When you ask... What is the wise thing for me to do? One of the things that you will be considering is, what decision could bring healing? What decision could bring healing to my life? What, could, what decision could bring healing to other people's lives? The tongue of the wise brings healing. Healing is one of the bottom line, core practices in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, one of the things I want you to do is bring healing. And so when you ask, what is the wise thing for me to do? You will always be considering, how will that bring healing? Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4 says this, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. By wisdom a house is built. Every time you come to one of these major decisions in life, where you're at a crossroad, where, you, where the decision you make is going to change the direction of your path in life, Every time you come to one of those, it's a house-building issue. But it's not about the house. It's not about the structure that you live in. It's about your life. The, the word house here is a metaphor for life. By wisdom, 
A life is built. By wisdom, a soul is built. Ask the question. When you come to a decision, ask the question, what's the wise thing for me to do? Because when you ask that question, you will be building your life. You will be building your house. That's TQ4, transformational question four. What's the wise thing for me to do? Now, if you're thinking about it as we go along, you're going to stop and you're going to go, yeah, but I don't, I don't know the wise thing to do. I don't know how to be wise. I don't know if I am wise. How do I get wise? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Here's some statements from the scripture about how do you gain wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Admit God's role. Acknowledge God's role in your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear, not, not like I'm terrified of God, although I should be, I could be. No, but it's the idea of honoring God, respecting God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, we're not cutting God out. We're inviting God in. When we don't ask the question, God, what's your will for my life? We're just acknowledging we already know His will for us. Now we're trying to make good decisions so invite God in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing this to his young friend Timothy, and he's saying, look, you were brought up on the Scriptures. You know the Scriptures. You have known the Scriptures. You've invested in them. Lean into them. Again, we're not cutting God out when we don't ask, God, what's your will for me? We're inviting God in when we say, God, what's the wise thing to do? And he will say, lean back into Scripture. What have I told you? No, I haven't told you which address to live. No, I haven't told you which person to marry. No, I haven't told you some of those big deciding factors. But I've given you the scriptures, and they give you my heart. Lean into God's heart. Lean into God's word. Lean, in, lean into his scriptures. I encourage you to go online at lakesidechurch.com and find on our, on our front page of our website, there's a devotional guide called Daily Rhythms. It's about getting your heart into God's word, where wisdom comes from. Next, James chapter 1, verse 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. you. What, you don't have wisdom? You're not sure if you're wise? Ask God. Again, you're not cutting God out. You're inviting God in. Prayers gain wisdom. We, we spend so much of our time asking God for things in our prayers, but so much of prayer is simply being with God and letting Him speak to you. And from that, from Him gaining wisdom, his wisdom. Proverbs 13, verse 20, makes this statement. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The Proverbs are full of statements, full of scriptures that say, seek advice. The wise person seeks advice. He says here, walk with the wise and you will be wise. That's transformational question number two. Who's your wingman? That person that you fly in formation with, that person that you hang with, are they wise? Is he wise? Is she wise? Are they giving you good counsel? Who's your wingman? The wise walk with those who are wise. Why? Because they want to become wise themselves. 
Now let me show you how this works out in Scripture. There's a few examples where you find out people that were in Scripture weren't asking the question, God, what's your will? Because they already knew what it was. They were asking instead, what's the wise thing for me to do? So here's one example in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 36. It says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here's a fascinating little story. Paul and Barnabas had gone on a mission trip. The, the Lord did amazing things through them, and people from all over the places where they were were coming to faith in Christ. It was absolutely remarkable, but it was also dangerous. And they got into a lot of trouble by going into these places and, and proclaiming Jesus as king and proclaiming Jesus as God. And it got the heat got pretty high sometimes. Well, they had a young protege with them named John Mark. And at one point, the heat got so bad, the temperature got so hot, the, the risks got so high for them that John Mark said, I'm out. You guys, I can't do this. I'm out. And he left for home. Barnabas and Paul finished their trip, but John Mark wasn't with them any longer. Now, Barnabas and Paul came back to Antioch, their hometown, where their home church was, and they reported what had happened on that mission trip, and they got the church's blessing for all the things they'd said and done. And then after a while, they decided, we ought to go back on another trip. We ought to go back and encourage those people to be followers of Christ. And, and they both agreed, yeah, let's go on this trip, and the church was going to send them out. And Barnabas said, hey, Paul, let's take John Mark. Now, remember, Barnabas is the man who... Uh, when Paul, who was still called Saul at that time, when Saul was a, a murderer of the church, when he was arresting people and hauling them to court and having them executed because of their faith in Christ, Bar, uh, when, when Paul came to faith in Christ himself and none of the Christians trusted him, Barnabas is the one who went to Paul and said, I got you. I got your back. I'll be with you. I'll be your wingman. And they and they grew together, and they served together, and they did amazing things for Jesus together. Now, Barnabas says to Paul, hey, I, I, want, to take, I want to take John Mark along. And Paul says, I don't think that's wise. And, you know, you look at Barnabas' character, you're like, well, this, he's such a generous man, he's such a believing man, why don't you listen to Barnabas? But Paul says, I don't think it's wise. The mission is too important to risk with someone who abandoned us last time. And it says a sharp disagreement came up between them. And they went their separate ways. Now, I don't think they, I don't think they abandoned their relationship. I think they changed course in their mission. And Barnabas ended up taking John Mark and he went off and went one direction with the mission of Christ. And, and Paul chose Silas, and they went off in another direction, and they carried the mission of Christ. And the mission of Christ multiplied because Paul decided to do what was wise.
Transformational question number four. What is the wise thing for me to do? Barnabas and John Mark went one direction. Paul and Silas went another direction. And the mission, the scope of the mission doubled. What is the wise thing for me to do? Lord, I pray for us today. I pray that you'd lead us in the things that are wise. I pray that you'd show us the path you have for us. I pray that we would follow it. I pray that we would love those you call us to love, which is everyone around us. And Lord, I pray that we would love you with everything we have. And may we find the wise thing to do. Thank you again for listening. I just want to encourage and remind you again that these are the times that we as Christ followers get to shine and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Rest assured that his promises will never fail us and that he is in control. I would also love to invite you one more time to check out one of our live streams this weekend. We believe that community is important and these live streams are a great way to connect with your family and friends and worship God while we are all at home. Have a great week. Go with God.